on the way down. It's more in motion. They get it to him. More in space. A burst of speed. A place down for Purdue. He's still going. More. Touch back. Touchdown. McSorley steps up. First downfield shot. Jump ball. And Johnson goes up and makes a spectacular one-handed catch over Damon Arnett. That's the kind of one-on-one -on -one battle they have to win. Six. On third down, Lewerke down the sideline. He's got a touchdown, Davis, and the Spartans take the lead. Little blitz coming, Thorson caught. Touchdown, Northwestern Jefferson. Wow, what a comeback. This will break the tie. Taylor into the five. Taylor into the end zone. Badgers win it. Jonathan Taylor over 300 yards, but his last carry is a game winner in West Lafayette. Touchdown, Maryland. And the Terrapins are going for the win. Pigram rolling out, looking, throws, no, incomplete. Ohio State survives. Haskins. Over the middle. We know one thing. This is back-to-back -back Big Ten championships for the Ohio State University Buckeyes. Hey, college football fans, you are listening live to BFC. That is a bowl full of chips. I am your gridiron gent, Happy Chappy, and you all know my primetime co-host, the Bip, Dip, and Rip. Bip, you all right? Chappy, good to be here. Spring training has begun for baseball, and it's nice to have something until the spring football games start. Yeah, um, it's... You know, it's always good to see not only uh, as a baseball fan, but it's it's kind of that telltale sign that spring is coming. And I'm not a fan of winter. I'm not a fan of snow and gray and cold. So I'm all for the weather getting warmer. And, you know, even if it's a tease watching some of these spring training games, um, it is a sign of, of bright, sunny, warmer things to come. Bip. So I, I welcome it. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, if you're if snacking is your thing, you're in the right place. Um, grab a bowl full of chips and leave your daily regiments and cares outside for the next 45 minutes and let us bring you some good or even more good to your day. So here at BFC, we bring football closer and we want to thank you for listening. Things are going well for us, but we encourage you to help us make this podcast even better. Best thing that you guys can do is to subscribe, to share with your friends and family, coworkers, acquaintances, anyone you know who enjoys the game, even half of what you do and we do. All you got to do is hit the share button on your device and you can send it via text, email, or even just mentioning us by mouth or by social media. That'll help us and that'll help make things better for you, the listener. Help be a part of the good that is growing in our world. It's quick, it's easy, and we thank you for it. So BIP... We love college football here at Bowlful of Chips. We love to laugh, and we love pizza chains. 
Yeah, and it's nice that we live in Michigan that has um, three of the bigger pizza chains in the whole country and Domino's, Hungry Howie's, and Little Caesars as they're headquartered in Michigan in various spots. And, you know, local pizza places are great if you can find a good one. Uh, But there's something about having so many successful and good pizza chains in the Midwest as there's never a shortage of places to find a pie. Now, let me ask you, I had the privilege of having a Chicago style deep dish, deep dish recently, which wasn't my first one, but my wife uh, was traveling and uh, brought me back some, some leftovers. So tell me, do you like uh, Chicago style pizza? Or are you one of the many wieners who say "Eh, it's too much bread for me? It's too much sauce and too much cheese. Uh, Yep. I am definitely a, um, a card carrying wiener. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> and it's not the it's not the bread. I don't mind the bread, but to me, you can overdo the sauce on a pizza. And I know that that's going to put my man card in check here. Um mm-hmm. but uh you know, for me a good pizza is a healthy amount of bread and a good amount of cheese and toppings for me. I don't want I don't want to have to go looking for my toppings. I mean, if I want tomato soup, if I want ketchup, if I want um, now spaghetti is a different thing. And we talked about this bit, but on my pizza, I like it, uh, on the little bit moderate level, but I don't like those pizzas where it's dry and it looks like, um, you know, some four-year-old licked all the sauce off and then gave you their slice. And you're like, what the hell is this? Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it seems a bit hypocritical being a Northwestern fan that I am not a fan of Chicago style. I do like the Michigan style deep dish though. So, um, give me that, but go easy on the sauce. Yeah, I think we're alienating. I think you're alienating some of your uh, <laughs> Northwestern uh, come back, uh, brother, come back, brethren. Yeah, <laughs> this guy don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Did good. Have some words for me. <laughs> um, now, I, let me ask you this, Bip. Uh, do you believe that there is such thing as a bad pizza? Um, well, we, we mentioned one of them dominoes, but, uh, (laughs) you know, on, on the worst day, um, even if it's one of those, you know, 50 cent freezer pizzas that you find in, in any, uh, supermarket or grocery store, I'm going to say that if I have to choose between a, you know, kale or the worst pizza I've ever had, I'm never even going to think twice about it. And I'm going to go pizza every day. Well, yeah, that's like saying, "Hey, we've got uh we've got steak cooking in here, Bip, or there's a garbage can out there if you'd prefer to have that." So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I mean, the combination of cheese, uh sauce and bread, you really can't mess that up unless it's burnt. If it if it's a burned pizza, then I will say yes. Otherwise, no. There is no such thing as a bad pizza. Now that you that's a good context uh reference there because when people talk to me about that, like they'll say, oh, well, you can't really make a bad pizza. If I'm going out and I'm paying for pizza, I am expecting some sort of quality. So I have been to establishments yes. where I get pizza. I'm like, really? I just paid for this. This is a, uh, to quote the office, a hot circle of garbage. Um, so <laughs> yeah. And, and you bring up a good point. There is such thing as a bad pizza when you're talking about comparing it to other pizzas. But if you're talking about pizza in reference to all of the other foods that are oh, out yeah. there, 
there is no such thing as a pizza being bad. So I, I guess there's two things. There is such thing as a bad pizza, but there's no such thing as a pizza being bad. Right. Clarify. No, that's that's a great way of putting it. And I think that wraps up that conversation beautifully. Bit. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, getting to those chains, I, I love me some Hungry Howie's. I love Jet's Pizza. Little Caesars is kind of on the next tier along with Domino's. Uh, I am not a fan of Papa John's, though. And I know oh, that, that I'll fight, you. Kind of, I'll fight yeah, you on that one. I know you I will. will fight you on that one. I know you will. Well, let's let's liquor us up, and that might be an entertaining <laughs> podcast. But um, yeah, I just for me, and and maybe I am coming off as much more of a snob than what I really am. But you know, in in the college days, I know that people say, "Well, it's great uh, hangover food. It's great drunk food." But uh, give me Taco Bell, give me McDonald's. Um, you know, I'll even root through what's in my fridge. But I just I was not a big fan of Papa John's, and apparently Louisville's not a big fan of him anymore either. So. Yeah, not so much. Neither is Peyton Manning. <laughs> right. So, well, uh, Bip, some people like to go on the Twitter, and we would love it if you guys listening can give us a follow on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC Bip. So on Twitter, we like to give you more than just what we do here. We're not going to try and recycle what we talk about. Yeah, we might promote it a little bit, but who doesn't when they want to uh, get their name out there? Uh, we like to retweet and send off great ideas and borrowed resources that we get from others and give them their credit and their due. And one of those is a Twitter handle and a website called Tour the Ten. So that's at Tour the Ten, T O U R the Ten. Um, and spell out the word 10. So um, they're a good source of information. And in in researching for this podcast and the previous podcast that we did on the Big Ten Traditions, they have a lot of good information, picks, videos that help bring you closer to the Big Ten campuses, not just traditions, but helping you get a, a better understanding of the, uh, the university that maybe your team is playing against. But if you live in the Midwest and you're looking at going to one of these fine universities, this is kind of the, the lighter side and, and not so academic and you don't have to look at those staggering uh, tuition numbers that keep going up daily and daily. So, uh, <laughs> so give us a, a look on Twitter. Um, we'll make a we'll make you a deal. You follow us. We'll name drop you. We'll we'll broadcast you here on the podcast here, whatever power that holds, and uh, we'll help each other out. So, Bip, today's review day for the Big Ten. We're gonna yes, sir. Chat uh, what happened in 2018. We're going to give a rundown of both the West and the East. I'm going to try and focus on the West. Bip will give us the East, but being college football passionates, we we know both about each side, so we'll kind of chime in and, and we'll agree, we'll disagree, we'll play devil's advocate, and we'll we'll bring up things that maybe others didn't think about. Um, we're going to talk about the, the standings, the successful surprises, the disheartening disappointments, some of the top players who maybe were not crowned officially the Big Ten offensive and defensive players of the year. We'll give our thoughts and some hints at what to expect in 2019. So as seen on Twitter, many schools, teams, and fans are giving their triple digit countdown until kickoff here, Bip. But at Bowl Full of Chips, we are ever the optimist and glass glass is half full and maybe we should fill that glass up. So I see not triple digits, but I see Bip 25 weeks until week zero. How good does that sound? That sounds absolutely fabulous to me and every week that we do this uh we're getting closer and closer so it's getting better and better sir yes yes you're right uh we pride ourselves here on bowl full of chips much like we were in college at being the college football podcast that gives you more than just the big guys do so 
we pay attention to detail. We're going to go the extra mile for you. We're going to give you what you're looking for and not necessarily just what the big guys give you. Um, we're not driven by manifested money or politically driven prognostications. What we give you is objective subjectivity. We'll praise and punish whoever deserves it. And if you agree with us, sweet. If you disagree, we encourage that you uh, continue to, but we are not going to back down from any perpendicular opinions. So Bip, let's get right into it. Uh, we'll start off with the West because as most people read a map, they'll go from West to East. Um, so here's what happened in the West. We start off with the number 21 Northwestern Wildcats who finished the year at nine and five, eight and one in the Big Ten. One of only three teams to win that many games in the Big Ten regular season, followed by Wisconsin at eight and five and five and four in the Big Ten. Purdue was six and seven, but also finished five and four in the Big Ten, and there was really a three-way tie for second place in the West. Number twenty-five Iowa was fourth in the Big Ten West standings at five and four. Uh, again, in that three-way tie for second place, but they did finish nine and four on the season, including a, an impressive victory over Mississippi State in the bowl game. Nebraska came in at four and eight overall, three and six in conference. Minnesota was seven and six, but three and six in conference, losing to the Cornhuskers in the regular season. And then, unfortunately for Illini fans, Illinois was at the bottom at four and eight, two and seven in the conference, but they had a young team this year. Bip, how did it look over in the East? Well, Chappie, in the East, we had Ohio State uh, at 8-1 and one in the conference, 13-1 and one overall. University of Michigan at 8-1 and one in the conference, 10-3 and three overall. Penn State at 6-3 and three in the conference, 9-4 and four overall. The Spartans of Michigan State, 5-4 and four in the conference, 7-6 and six overall. Maryland Terrapins come in at 3-6 and six in the conference, 5-7 and seven overall. The Indiana Hoosiers, 2-7 and seven in the conference, 5-7 and seven overall. And rounding it out is the hapless Rutgers Scarlet Knights at 0-9 in the conference, 1-11 overall. Yeah, um, we'll we'll get to all these individual facets uh, here and there, but um, there's been a lot of questioning as to when the Big Ten expanded to 14 teams, were Maryland and Rutgers really the teams that were putting the Big Ten's best foot forward? So uh, we'll get into that, Bip. Let's let's go down to you know we we talked about the the standings. So who stuck out to you as a successful surprise? Let's start in the East this time. Who is deserving of a nod of appreciation for doing better than they were expected in the East? Well, out of the East, I really thought that a a nice surprise was the hard to say because there was it was kind of top heavy as it's been the last yeah, few years right. but i'm going to go with the michigan wolverines as i didn't really expect um a, a ton from them this year i you know similar to the last few years i expected them to come out and be ranked in the top 15 top 10 at the beginning of the year um however seeing their schedule the fact that they added notre dame this year I thought that they were good for another one of their one or two um, shaky games throughout the season. But after that Notre Dame game, they snap off 10 straight wins. Uh, defensively this year, they were just smothering as they were first in yards per game and 12th in the country in points per game. They also were second in passing yards per game allowed. So um, they 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 squeaked by Northwestern, which was really their their only close uh, Big Ten game until they got to Ohio State. As their their next closest win was eleven points against Indiana, 
Um, now they did not uh, finish the season real well as they got clobbered by both Ohio State and Florida, losing by a combined 103 to 54. Yeah. But um, of note, Shea Patterson threw for 2,600 yards and had a 22 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio. Ratio, and that was really with the Wolverine offense not taking the the training wheels off, so to speak of that passing game seemed like they left a lot on the table in regards to um, some ingenuity and some creativity offensively. Um, but maybe that's in part because Karan Hignan was so effective this year, ran for over 1100 yards and 10 touchdowns and his backups, Chris Evans and true Wilson, both averaged over five yards per carry defensively. It was the uh, Winovich and um, Oh, I'm blinking. Yes. Thank you. The yeah. Devin Bush show. Uh, Winovich li- lived in the backfield this year, totaling 15 and a half tackles for loss. And that Michigan secondary really made opposing offenses pay for interceptions thrown as they returned four of them for touchdowns. So I kind of, uh, I was at a loss out of the East in regards to surprise teams, Chappie. So Michigan got my nod sort of by default, but how about you? Who, who made, uh, uh, a pleasant surprise for you this year. Well, before I get to mine, I want to just touch on Michigan. I, you know, my thoughts about them, and I thought it was interesting that they got your pick because they they really sandwiched the year with head scratchers. They did not look good against Notre Dame, and that's not to take anything away from Notre Dame. Notre Dame played a solid game in that opener, but Notre right. Dame didn't really blow the doors off them. They didn't really, especially offensively. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame had you know they they got up fourteen nothing early, and that was impressive. And I thought, okay, Notre Dame's gonna route mm-hmm. the Wolverines, and then right. Michigan kind of played it close, but they just kept getting in their own way. And and I was waiting for Shea Patterson to take that game over. And after that game, I was kind of thinking. And this is not the guy that everybody's hailing as a first team all Big Ten quarterback. He's not, you know, this savior that finally is going to get the Wolverines over the hump. And then they right. they rattled off, like you said, nine straight wins that were just damn near dominating. And, you know, the the level of talent that they were going up against, um, you know, even playing against uh Penn State, who was respectable this year, Penn State did not look good at all in that game uh, out in no. Ann Arbor. Uh, Michigan State was obviously down this year, so I don't know how well that schedule tuned them up. And then they were exposed against Ohio State, and and really, Don Brown's failure to adapt and adjust accordingly to the Ohio State crossing game and and continuing to try and play man defense and say okay this is Michigan this is who we're going to be we're going to live by the sword die by the sword well they got you know stabbed multiple times by their own sword in that game and so um yeah i if you ask me going into that ohio state game who is the more impressive team it was definitely michigan but then to lay the egg like they did yeah um i kind of look at that as yeah they they looked better than I thought they were going to after that Notre Dame game up until the Ohio State game. And so that's where if, if we talk about the word surprise, yeah, Michigan right. surprised me really at both ends of the spectrum at two points of the season. Well, if we're talking about successful surprises, I mean, Penn State, Michigan State, both underachieved. Right. Maryland, Indiana, Rutgers didn't make a bowl. And so I feel like you might be leaning towards Ohio State. I'll let you get to that in a second. But um, I really had high expectations for Ohio State, regardless of the Urban Meyer stuff that went on this year. So for them to go 13-1 and overall really didn't surprise me as much as Michigan going 8-1 no. and one in the conference. Nope. And, and I'm going to, you know, I do have a team that is that shade of red, but no, my, I'm going to give it to the Indiana Hoosiers. And here's why. 
Okay. I picked Indiana to finish dead last in the Big Ten East. And I thought that when push came to shove, Maryland was better. Even Rutgers was better because Rutgers had a pretty good defense coming back. I like what Chris Ash stands for and the the strides he seemed to be making last year. And everybody was high on Art Sitkowski at quarterback. But boy, what a mistake that was uh, in terms of <laughs> putting so much eggs in his basket. Um, yeah, and, and I have more on him later. Right, uh, and I know, sure. <laughs> I know you do, so I'm not going to steal your thunder. But, I mean, sure. you look at Indiana, they won five games, and really they should have uh, they should have gone to a bowl. They uh, only lost that Oaken Bucket game to Purdue by a touchdown. And, um, you know, you, you take that, and they also um, had a couple other close games earlier in the year. Um, they finished with those five wins, but uh, three of their losses were one-score games. So if you flip it, even if they get one of those three one-score losses, they're in a bowl game. And if things go their way even more, they're an eight and four team going into a bowl. Um, and they were relatively young this year. So to, to see the things that they did, they weren't really a bad team. So for them to, to win five games, when I think I picked them to only win two at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I liked what Tom Allen did this year. And I think they really were a, a team of, with all due respect, no names. Um, so they got my nod at the, uh, on the East side for positive surprises. But again, when you're talking about successful surprises, uh, they were the most consistent team. Maryland was night and day. Rutgers was yeah. well Rutgers. And then, you know, again, Penn state, um, really underachieved to me this year, Michigan state right. underachieved. And like you said, yep. I wasn't surprised that Ohio state came out of the big 10 East because as long as urban, Meyer, wherever urban Meyer is coaching, if he took over the Rutgers program next year, I would peg mm -hmm. Rutgers to go to a bowl because he's just that good of a coach. So sure. Well, what kept me away from the Hoosiers was they, they started off four and one, and it included a win over Virginia, which looked a lot better at the end of the season than the beginning. But their other right. wins were against Florida International, Ball State, and Rutgers. The other win that they have throughout the season is against Maryland. So you really think about it. They beat up on the rest of their uh, East opponents mm -hmm. and also had wins over lowly Ball State. And the, the Florida International one's not terrible. But again, it is, a, a, it is Florida International, despite right. the fact that they had nine wins this year. So that really kept me away from, from the Hoosiers and I can't really say too much about a team being a successful surprise that didn't make a bowl and uh, perform so poorly in the conference. Yep. And, and perhaps uh, differences in interpretation because uh, you know, again, um, sure. When, when, when I looked at the beginning of the season to where they finished at the end, um, the, the East was really tough for me because um, you know, again, I, I didn't feel that any of those other teams were a successful surprise compared to what I thought that they were. So um, six, right. one half dozen, the other, I suppose. Sure. Sure. Um, what about uh, the West? Who who shined for you? And I'm going to let you go to that one first because I'm pretty sure we have the same uh, the same team in this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with your your Wildcats, Chappie. Go um, you Northwest. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so now Northwestern was all over the place in the first half of the season. They start one and three uh, with a loss against Duke in which the Wildcats had over 380 yards of total offense, but turned the ball over four times on downs and threw two interceptions. So 
and, and the the Blue Devils did a great job um, of capitalizing on on those shortcomings on offense. Mm-hmm. They also had a very turnover filled game uh, loss against Akron, in which Akron had three defensive touchdowns. They outscored the Wildcats in Evanston, thirty six to thirteen, in the second half of the game to to take it over, which is really foreshadowing of the bowl game that the Wildcats would have later on in the year against Utah. Uh, but with the shoe being on the other foot, mm-hmm. but then they start to turn things around. They win four straight after losing to Michigan by only three, uh, a game that they really should have held on to win. Um, so the, the, there, there wasn't a whole lot to speak of in regards to the Wildcats in relation to uh, stats at the end of the year. Offensively, they <laughs> no. were in the, they're a hundredth in points per game, 108th in yards per game. And even defensively for, for as stout as that defense seemed at times per year, they were 62nd in yards per game allowed and 40th in points per game allowed. Uh, But credit to that wildcat team. They just kept scratching and clawing pun intended. Mm -hmm. And it's the mark of that, you know, the Pat Fitzgerald led team that you're never out of it. You, you play the, the role of the underdog and regardless of what the, the chips are stacked against you before the game and during the game, you keep coming back fighting and, and they were just time in time out. They were very impressive throughout every game that they had this year uh, in which they were victorious due to the fact that um, no matter what the score was and what the situation was, you could see that that, that wildcat team was, was not giving up and it showed at the end of the year. Yeah, they had uh, quite a few. I think they had um, six games that were decided by a touchdown or less. And that's why I wanted to let you take the lead in this because I didn't want people automatically just chalking it up to me being a a homer. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I think that you ask most college football experts around the country and you say, who was the most successful and most pleasant surprise in the Big Ten this year? It has to be Northwestern because... Number one, they weren't really given a chance at the beginning of the season. So even Northwestern people, some of the um, you know the diehard fans were were calling for realistically anywhere from six and set or six and six to maybe eight wins tops. And yeah, they got their eight wins in the regular season. But if you ask a lot of people after the month of September when they started one and three, which included zero wins at home. Um, after three tries, most people were saying, I don't know that this team's going to make a bowl game, but they did. They reeled off seven straight Big Ten victories. And even in the Big Ten championship, the score, I don't think, was indicative on how well fought that that game was for the Wildcats. They just were facing yeah. a juggernaut offense in Dwayne Haskins and what Ryan Day was calling. And um, I'd be hard-pressed to find many defenses who were not going to keep that uh, Ohio State offense to under 40 points that night. So, um, you know, so they start one and three, and then they they start playing good team defense. And that's really, like you said, the mark of a Fitzgerald-led team is that the moment you count this team out and the moment you don't give them a chance, that's when they get better. And, you know, when we talked about our early top 25 picks this year and I did not have the Wildcats in my top 25, I caught some flack from from Northwestern people and, and even questions from, you know, others saying, how could you not put them in there? They won the Big Ten West and they've got Hunter Johnson coming in. And part of my rationale is this team plays better and I prefer it when they're not, when they don't have that high hope and that, um, 
that magnifying glass on them and the pats on the back because this is a team of, of guys who are overlooked and this is a team of guys who um, almost thrive on having that chip, similar to what Michigan State has typically done under Mark D'Antonio. So, yeah, my nod definitely goes to right. the Wildcats for being the successful surprise out of the West. Yeah, and and a nod to them uh, of I mean the the Big Ten rest the Big Ten West really was uh, you know death by attrition as as uh, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Iowa all tied for second in in regards to conference wins at five and four. Northwestern really pulled away eight and one in the conference. Uh, a a real great job done by them this year in the Big Ten for sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of tired of the narrative that the West is just a watered down, also ran part of the Big Ten. I mean, yeah, comparatively speaking, the East definitely has the top heavier teams. I mean, if you're to rank the Big Ten power from top to bottom, you're going to have uh, at least three of those four powers in the East uh, at the top, in the top five anyway. But I mean, going eight and one in the Big Ten in general because it's not just the teams in the West, but they did play Michigan and really should have beat the Wolverines this year. Um, but uh, you know, and, then yeah, they, and I'm sorry, go ahead. And let and let's you know, uh, let's set expectations as as I'm sure I know you feel this way, and we've heard uh, several of our of our other. Uh, Twitter fans and and followers feel the same way that the Big Ten West look out for them this year as Purdue, Nebraska, Minnesota. They have a lot of momentum going for uh, in 2019 and beyond to add to the Northwesterns, Wisconsin's and Iowa's in that division. So watered down in 2018 or not, uh, let's keep an eye out for the Big Ten West in 2019. Right. So what about on the opposite side, disappointing teams? Let's start in the West this time. Who stood out to you as a team that just did not reach the bar that they had set for them? I'm going to go with the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Really? And the the main reason for that is I think I, I bought in a little too much to uh, what Frost had coming in. And I think I was a, a, a victim of the, of the moment with what he had done at UCF um, and really expected the Cornhuskers to come out and, and feel the better football team than what they did. Uh, they start off 0-6. Uh, the wins that they had this year were against Bethune-Cookman, Illinois, and a hapless Michigan State team mm-hmm. um, in, in the second-to-last game of the season. And that was a game that MSU was up 6 nothing in the fourth quarter, but the Spartan defense led up three field goals on three straight drives to lose that game. Yeah. And if and towards the end of the season, if you could score nine points against Michigan State, there's no way that you were losing that game. No. So um, there was – and what, what really surprised me even more with Nebraska is their offense was really good this year, 25th in the country yeah. in yards per game. They have Adrian Martinez who comes in and, and really looks – very impressive in that Scott Frost offense. Devin Azigbo looked really good as well running the ball. Maurice Washington, um, he and Azigbo combined for over 1,500 yards rushing and 15 touchdowns, and each uh, averaged nine, uh, 5.9 yards per carry. Stanley Morgan and J- J.D. Spielman combined for over 1,800 yards and 15 touchdowns and really looked like maybe the best pair of receivers in the Big Ten, uh, arguably with with what Ohio State had. Um, so I was, I was really surprised that they only get to four wins this year, three wins against FBS opponents, um, considering how successful their offense was. I thought that 
Um, knowing how, how much they struggled uh, last year, I thought that Frost would have had the ship righted and thought that Nebraska was primed for um, a six or seven win season this year. So they got my nod as disappointing. Um, I, I thought about going with with Wisconsin uh, due to the fact of where they started throughout the at the beginning of the year, but I really had high question marks on Hornibrook and their passing game, and that that kind of came to fruition this year. So the fact that Wisconsin struggled that much was a little shocking to me, but I didn't expect them to come away and finish in the top ten uh, like the preseason rankings um, suggested. Yeah, well, touching on Nebraska, I I was surprised to see that they started off 0-6. That part really surprised me and, and disappointed me in terms of uh, where my expectations were for them. I did not buy in the, the Frost hype in year one, and one of the most misquoted narratives is the, even, even some of the big media outlets will mistakenly say that Scott Frost took an 0-12 UCF team and took them to undefeated national championship in one year. That didn't happen. They won six games in his first year, and that gets dropped sometimes. And I don't know if that's by mistake or if they purposely leave that out for um, Eddie. Hyperbole. Exactly, yeah. So he's a good coach, and and I'm not going to be convinced otherwise. And I, I I love his attitude, but I think what we saw was just how bad Mike Riley got things in Lincoln because, um, you know, when you saw the amount of guys who were leaving and wanting to get out of the program, what that screams to me is that uh, there were steep expectations. And um, I haven't heard from any source that they were unreasonable. So to make these guys want to have to work harder and some guys were just like, well, that's not what we're used to. Um, we're used to just coming in here. I'm a, I'm a division one athlete and I can take my four star talent somewhere else. And good for Scott Frost for saying, good, take your, take somewhere else. And he even said, I think after the fourth loss, um, I think it was actually maybe after the Michigan loss and, and basically came out publicly and said, we're going to do things this way here. And anybody who doesn't want to be a part of it, they can leave. And and I think that says mm-hmm. a lot because that's a risky maneuver as a new head coach, because that's either going to galvanize your team or that's going to completely erode your team. And I think they got w- rid of the, uh, the weaknesses and we saw how strong they were coming on late in the season. And they were a couple games away from making a bowl. They should have beat Northwestern this year. They were up by 14 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, they really should have beat Ohio State. There was some poor play calling there um, in the second half where they could have theoretically beaten the Buckeyes out in Columbus. So you give those two games, they played close against Iowa. So we're looking at a potential six-win team, and, and I agree. They have a lot of positive momentum going into um, 2019. But I did have to go with the Wisconsin Badgers as my biggest disappointment. Uh-huh. And the reason why is I actually picked them to win the Big Ten Conference. I thought I didn't think that they were a national championship team, but I thought that they could seriously contend for a playoff spot, even if they maybe had lost in the Big Ten Championship to uh, maybe a potentially undefeated Ohio State team before um, we saw the, the turmoil that was going on there at the beginning of the season. Um, mm-hmm. They could have seriously threatened and, and been a consideration. Um, I I never expect Alex Hornibrook to be a game changer, but he's a serviceable quarterback and he's been very serviceable for the first two years. Uh, He clearly digressed this year. And I think that concussions later in the year were partly due to that, but he was playing 
not very well before he had those concussion issues. And if you look at Wisconsin's five losses, only one of them was by less than double digits. So they lost by 10 points or more in four out of their five losses this year. Jonathan Taylor had a, a good year statistically, but he had some fumble problems. Um, they Their receiving core was up and down with suspensions. I know that they had injuries on defense, but if you look at their statistics, they were uh, no lower than... Um, hundred in any offensive or defensive category. Their their worst category really was in sacks on defense. They were 115th. So I know that's lower than 100. But um, you know sometimes sack stats can be deceiving. Their their other defensive numbers. They were 34th in scoring defense. They were 50th in yards per play given up. They were 54th in rush defense. So we're looking at a team that was in the top third of college football but they still only won seven games in the regular season. Um, and, you know, there was the overtime win at Purdue, which could have easily been a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they that, that loss to BYU was really their closest loss, and that shouldn't have been a loss at all. And, and they struggled in the kicking department this year as well. So I think, though, Wisconsin fans, this is an anomaly. I think this Wisconsin team is going to be back in 2019. So... Um, again, it speaks to the the strength of the West. So in addition to the teams that you mentioned earlier, I think that we can expect Wisconsin to be back on par uh, coming up this season. Yeah, I'm with you. I was really surprised. Um, like I mentioned, I kind of thought that the passing game would would not be great this year, although I didn't expect it to be this bad. I was really shocked by the, the defense and how kind of pedestrian it was for certain games. Um, yeah. Really not one of the the um you know one of the hallmarks of of the this Wisconsin team for the last 10 15 years um dating back to the Alvarez days are obviously the running game and then a stout defense so yeah. um kind of took me by surprise this year how flat they looked on defense um on a game by game basis yeah and they i mean losing Sagapolu about halfway through the year at nose tackle. Andrew Van Ginkle was up and down. Uh, fortunately, Ryan Connolly and TJ Edwards were all Big Ten caliber linebackers, but they were very thin and young in the secondary. Dakota Dixon was having to play really on his own back there and and leading a lot of these young pups. But again, the silver lining is that's a lot of um, – on-the-job training and trial by fire going into 2019, and I think that they'll be a little bit better tuned for that. Yep. On the east side, my disappointing team, uh, not really a surprise to many people, was Michigan State. And this is a team that I really had higher aspirations for them in coming into the season. You had a quarterback like Brian Lewerke who was established, and some were saying that maybe he's a uh, first-round NFL draft pick in the 2019 draft. You've got LJ Scott, who seems like he's been playing football in East Lansing for the last seven years and driving Um, for one year. (laughs) Right. Uh, Felton Davis is just a freak at wide receiver. They, they, um, you know, you know that Mark D'Antonio teams are always going to uh, play disciplined football and they just didn't this year. I mean, Lewerke, I think you had pointed out had an undisclosed injury that, uh, you know, clearly there was something wrong with his shoulder. And I think that led to uh, something wrong with his psyche as well. Rocky Lombardi was not the answer at quarterback. Their run game was atrocious. I mean, you look at these numbers, Bip, 
126th in scoring offense, 123rd in yards per play, 115th in rushing offense. I mean, a Mark D'Antonio team, you would expect them at worst to be maybe 70 or 80th in rush offense, but to be in the bottom 10 of the country running the football, that's just unheard of. Yeah, they and, they only had one running back that averaged over 3.3 yards per carry this year, which was their leading rusher, Connor Haywood, but he only ran for 529s on the season. Yeah. And you take away, I mean, if they had any injuries on the defensive side, you're looking at a Michigan State team that would have rivaled the, uh, I believe it was 2016 team where they only won three games. I mean, um, their defense was just that good. They were in the top 10 in three or four defensive categories, major defensive categories. So we're not talking like, you know, they were number two in interceptions on road games uh, at night. You know, we're talking they were. Uh, eighth in scoring defense, fourth in yards per play given up. They were the number one rush defense in the country. So you take that defense away, and this team is even more of a disappointment. So, yeah, there were injuries, but at this point with with Mark D'Antonio having been there as long as he has, you expect there to be enough depth to overcome some of those injuries at receiver and to get somebody who can run the ball and to have an offensive line that I don't think that they played the same combination of offensive linemen more than like two games in a row this year so that's certainly something that needs to be shored up and maybe even more of a disheartening surprise this offseason is that there were no alterations on that offensive staff they they switched the pieces around um but yeah Yeah, you talk about a kick to the crotch of every spartan fan out there the fact that they didn't make any changes other than playing a game of musical chairs on uh, the offensive coaching staff I can't believe that D'Antonio was able to to look himself in the mirror and say, well, we're good. We just didn't have the right guys in the right positions. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of like putting a plate of food in front of you that you don't like anything that's on. It's like giving me kale, corned beef, and uh, green peas, and then switching the positions on the plate and saying, oh, try it now. <laughs> right. um, it, it's still going to be the same disgustingness to me. So yeah. Yeah, and and like you had mentioned, uh, Lewerke had to have had some sort of an injury, and, and he was actually didn't play it towards the end of the season. But after the um, sixth game of the season, he never passed for more than 128 yards and just looked awful. His backup, uh, Rocky Lombardi, that came in didn't look much better. Um, the Spartans scored only 50 combined points in their last four regular season games, including 20 against uh nebraska and rutgers two of the worst defenses defenses in the conference and yeah. if you take if you take that a step further if you include their seven to six bowl loss against stanford the spartans averaged only 11.2 points per game in their last five games of the season wow. uh just just a, a terrible display of offense and that's the reason why everyone in east lansing and every spartan fan in the state of michigan thought not only thought that there were going to be changes they were screaming for changes on the offensive coaching staff so yeah i think that um i think you had touched upon this in a previous podcast maybe d'antonio has something up his sleeve that says okay he he normally keeps around his coaching staff for continuity but maybe there's a really short leash on a couple members of that offensive coaching staff this year that if they come out of the gate slow Maybe they, they get yanked and he's got a, a plan B already set and cocked and loaded, just waiting to be fired if the Spartans come out flat. 
Yeah, you would hope so if you're if you're a fan of the green and the white. Yeah. So, so am I am I to assume that they're your disappointment, or did you go with somebody else? No, no, I had to go with the Spartans. Like you meant for <laughs> basically all the reasons that you mentioned. That defense was so good this year that if they had any resemblance of an offense, they should have won at least a couple more games this year. They never yeah. had a win streak of greater than two games this year. Uh, so despite the fact that they were ravaged by injuries, there's really no excuse for how poorly their offense was. Um, it was a combination of injuries, poor play calling, and just lack of execution uh, from a team that really had a lot of guys returning for in the uh, um, within the uh, skill positions. Yeah. Well... With with outstanding teams and with with uh, great performance on the field, you've got to have outstanding players, Bip. And so that segues into our next segment. We had Dwayne Haskins and Devin Bush respectively winning the offensive and defensive MVPs or players of the year in the Big Ten. Um, offensively, do you go with Haskins or did you have somebody else? Well, Thought about Rondell Moore, thought about Jonathan Taylor, but I couldn't get away from Dwayne Haskins. The fact that he completed he completed 70% of his passes, threw for 4,800 yards, averaged 9.1 yards per attempt, and threw for 50 touchdowns to only eight interceptions. Also added, um, as Stephen A. Smith wants to point out, four touchdowns on the ground. I mean, he was really just someone that he kind of started off the season – not slow because those stats that he had in the first half of the year were um, stats that any quarterback in the country would have would probably loved to have had. Um, But the, the second half of the season, he was just lights out in every game that he played. Um, You know, whether it was against Michigan, um, Washington, you know, Maryland, he was the, the, the big reason as to why the Buckeyes only lost one game this year. And, uh, so it was hard for me to pick against him. I had to go with Haskins, but, uh, Jackie, yeah, how about I, you? Who did you, who did you come away with? I did not go with Haskins okay. and here's why. When I looked at it, I mean, he definitely had an outstanding season, but you look at who he's got blocking in front of him. I mean, you got uh, a handful of NFL, maybe all five of those guys are NFL players. Sure. You've got great receivers on the outside, like Paris, or on the really inside to outside, Paris Campbell, KJ Hill. But then you've got uh, Johnny Dixon. You've got Terry McLaurin, mm-hmm. who are stretching the outside of the field, as Northwestern saw. Olave Chris came Olave on. came on at the end of the yep. year. Benjamin Victor actually had a down year. So for me, I don't feel that you could plug and play any other Ohio State quarterback and they have as statistically great a season. But um, if, if Haskins was that big of a um, uh, an outstanding player, he would have won the Heisman. So to me, it was Rondell Moore. And, and here's my reasoning. Rondell Moore was I, – I don't say that he's outstanding just because he was a true freshman, but that factors slightly into it. He was number one in the Big Ten – in receptions per game with almost nine catches a game, um, 96.8 yards per game, which was tops in the conference, total of 1,258 receiving yards. Um, He was tops in receiving touchdowns with 12. And it wasn't like he was getting um, short red zone touchdowns. He wasn't the recipient of some of those Dwayne Haskin type flip passes that go down as a receiving touchdown. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who would catch uh, tough slant routes and, the guy squats 600 pounds and you could tell his breakaway speed and his running through defensive back tackles. And and it was clearly evident against Ohio state. And that was a 
a group of athletes in the back end for the Buckeyes that more just made look silly. So, um, you know, he's, he's got a quarterback that had a good year this year in David Blau, but his offensive line was not the best in the country. So you're not looking at somebody who is consistently always going to get open. He had to really work for it. And the dude was lightning in a bottle. And I know it was a chic pick. And I know Kirk Herbstreet was probably the biggest proponent. And it was to <laughs> a little bit, a little point of nauseousness. Um, yeah to hear him highlight more so much, but uh, I mean, the guy was outstanding. So to me, if, if you put Rondell Moore on a team with Dwayne Haskins, I think Moore's numbers are even bigger. If you put Dwayne Haskins on Purdue's team, um, I'm not sure that his numbers are, are quite as much. And, and maybe that's apples to oranges, but uh, I just thought that Rondell Moore had more of an outstanding season given the circumstances surrounding yeah, him. Yeah, and I could flip your argument just to say just the same the other way. If you put Rondell Moore on Ohio State, he maybe gets lost in that group of receivers compared to Haskins You're right. where he yeah. maybe makes the Purdue receivers better. But to your point, um, Rondell Moore was the really the – mainly the only thing that Purdue had going for, for their offense and the, his last four games of the season to where you figure he's a household name way before then he has eight catches, nine catches, 12 catches, 11 catches, and goes for over a hundred yards and uh, two touchdowns in two of those games. So the fact that he's basically the, the, the main focal point of, of opposing defensive coordinators, especially the second half of the season and still, runs away with uh, the production that he had is a testament to exactly how outstanding he was. So I, I, I like your pick, uh, but I, I think uh, the fact that that Haskins did everything that he did and just kind of ran away with uh, a lot of the, the Big Ten numbers in passing the way that he did got, got my vote. Yeah. What about the defensive side of the ball? Do you think that Mr. Bush was the – uh, the Big Ten's best defensive player, or do you put somebody else in that spot? Well, I'm going to actually go um, just a, about an hour away and uh, go with Kenny Willickis from Michigan State. Ah, you stole him from me, <laughs> but I'm glad we agree. Uh, yeah, Willickis, uh, the the numbers that jump out at you, 20 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks, uh, also had a pick and four passes defended. And you, you think about that and – those numbers jump out and you say, okay, well, from a defensive end, you figure that if you're, if you're as, as talented as Willickis is, then you're going to have those kind of stats, the tackle for loss and the sacks. But what really impressed me, he had 78 total tax to go, uh, total tackles to go along with that, uh, to show mm -hmm. how well balanced of a player he really is. He's really the, the, um, the the elite and what makes that Michigan State defense go um, a huge huge addition for them in 2019 was the fact that he came out as he could have easily entered uh, the NFL draft and probably been a first or second day selection. Yeah, uh, his 78 tackles were 28th in the conference. Where I mean, you look at their that's more than some linebackers, some defensive backs, right. um, and you know he's he's the focal point on a defense that's number one against the run and number ten total defense. Mm -hmm. um, and most remarkable is the fact that he's a walk on. He wasn't really recruited by anybody. He actually was given a look by Michigan State because a friend of his was being scouted by the Spartans, and he went on a recruiting visit just to be a buddy to tag along and they said hmm, this this might be somebody we could turn into something good and and they certainly did and a uh, scary thing for big east or big 10 east teams next year is 
all four members of that Spartan uh, front four come back next season. So Willikus, both P- Panashooks, and then Raycon, Raekwon Williams as well. So yeah, Willikus got my vote for most outstanding player as well. I mean, Devin Bush is good, but to me, he wasn't outstanding this year. He was, no. he did his job, but he didn't, I, I, I thought that that was truly just a reputation. And to me, it seemed like a mail-it-in vote, like, okay, yeah, uh, Bush got all these preseason accolades. He's, you know, a Butkus uh, nominee and whatnot. So let's just go with him. But you watch the tape and you watch what's going on. Kenny Willickus, um really stood out and, and played far superior to a lot of other players on the defensive side of the ball in the big 10 this year. So yeah, great pick there, Bip. Yeah. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, where does the big 10 rank in terms of overall conferences? We, we looked at, and we said the sec was number one. We said the ACC was number five out of the power five. Where do you put the big 10 and why? Um, I put the big 10 second. And the reason for that is, they don't have the sheer volume of elite teams to put them in the category of the SEC. They also don't have the lack of a um, you know middle class, so to speak, uh, to put them down with uh, you know the ACC or the Pac-12. I think the fact that uh, the Big Ten they have the True Bloods in Ohio State who could really compete with. Uh, you know, the Clemsons, the, the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world, but they also have Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, uh, that could then rival the Floridas, um, uh, the Auburns and, and, you know, the kind of the second, third tier. Um, but then right. taking it a step further, like we mentioned, the Big Ten West next year, um, and, e- and even this year in, from a competitive standpoint, Teams like Iowa, Nebraska, uh, Purdue—they're—they're they're all teams that can give you fits, and would I would I would put up the the middle part of the Big Ten uh, against any conference in the country, SEC included. Um, but what left me from putting them first is I don't trust um, the the top top tier teams in the Big Ten compared to the SEC. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the SEC gets number one, um, for the reasons you said, but also when you look at the big 10 this year, they went 12 and nine against the power five, one and four against the SEC. And a lot of that came, um, earlier in the, in the season. So, um, or yeah, I'm sorry. One and four against the SEC, but they were five and one against the ACC, three and one against the Big Twelve, three and three against the Pac-12, and a couple of those were, um, you know, some anomalies. But um, you know, they they had four teams in the final college football playoff rankings, and you and I talked about uh, more and more. It's harder to assess conference versus conference in bowl games because sometimes you're playing with altered rosters and um, you're playing with different motivations. Bowl games aren't what they used to be. Now it's more really just an exhibition. Uh, You're collecting your paycheck for making it to a bowl game. You're getting your 15 extra practices and you're getting your swag bags and you're calling it a day. But, um, you know, I think we have to clearly put the big 10 at number two, because not only did they have four teams uh, in the, final CFP rankings, the only other team that had um, equal or more, the SEC had seven, but the Big 12 also had four. But if you look at it, within the top 15, um, 
the uh, the Big Ten had Penn State at number twelve. They had Michigan at number seven. They had Ohio State at number six. Whereas the Big Twelve only had Oklahoma at number four, and um, they had Texas at number fifteen. So the Big Ten was a little bit more top heavy in those final um, uh, CFP rankings. So and and like you said, not not so much watered down it's it's there's a lot more competition and you go top to bottom i think the big 10 scares me if i'm an opposing coach uh from an, a, a different conference as opposed to uh the other conferences like the acc the pac-12 and even the big 12 yeah for sure the big 10 seems to travel better than the than most of the other conferences too right and again like we like we talked about the big 10 always seems to get gypped out of home and homes and locations because People are always willing to bring Big Ten teams out to the warmer climates, but very few are willing to travel out to the east. And when they do, it's teams like Oregon State who came to Columbus in, you know, warm 90 degree uh, Columbus weather in September this year. Right, so, right. Um, so let's look at uh, some of the top games and, and we can kind of just go through this quickly because I know that there's um, some, some interesting tidbits at the end we want to get to. So give me uh, kind of rapid fire. What's one game that stood out to you this year that uh, was great entertainment value? Well, I really enjoyed the Ohio state Penn state game, uh, kind of a back and forth game all the way through Ohio state comes back and uh, scores twice at the end of the uh, fourth quarter. And the most interesting thing to me was the, the call from Penn state on fourth and five of having uh miles sanders keep the ball instead of having trey sander or um, trace mcsorley have a kind of a run pass option um yeah. and that was obviously snuffed out beautifully by uh by young so that yep. that was really an entertaining one for me yeah i i had that as one of my top ones as well um you know it was in front of a raucous crowd in hot happy valley and we already talked about the the whiteout condition mm-hmm. on the last podcast. Penn State had a 26-14 lead with eight minutes to play, and the Buckeyes were struggling to put a drive together on offense. And then your player of the year, Dwayne Haskins, and that offense comes alive, aided by an inexplicable collapse by Penn State. And really, that Penn State defense looked a lot better toward the end of the year than what many were giving them credit at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw at the end kind of what James Franklin talked about in his post-game press conference and saying that Penn State was just not that elite program just yet, whereas Ohio State was. And so Dwayne Haskins began his rise to Heisman notoriety, leading his team to two touchdown drives, including an eight-play, 96-yard masterpiece that put the Buckeyes ahead with just a couple minutes to go. And Penn State squandered any opportunity they had to try and win the game with, with poor play calling. Right. Another another game that involved the Buckeyes that stood out to me was their game against Maryland, where they won 52-51. And this one shocked me so much that I was glued to it from the middle of the fourth quarter until the ending. So Maryland led by as much as 14 in the second half. But the two teams, two teams traded blows down the stretch with Ohio State coming from behind to tie three different times in the fourth quarter, eventually putting it into overtime. So in the extra frame, Ohio State scored first and Maryland answered with a one-yard touchdown run, but knowing they hadn't slowed Haskins all game and they weren't likely to win a, a shootout in overtime, Maryland interim head coach Matt Canada decides to go for two and it didn't work. So what happened was a simple miscommunication between quarterback and receiver in what was really a microcosm of Maryland's entire season, just poor passing. 
It, Dwayne Haskins had two rushing touchdowns for one and two yards. So maybe, I, like you said, this was the game or quarter that Stephen A. Stephen A. Smith saw the highlights <laughs> of and came to the conclusion that he was a uh, that a fifty touchdown, forty eight hundred yard uh, quarterback was a much better runner, a runner than a passer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and what was impressive was J.K. Dobbins rushed for 203 yards. Anthony McFarlane, the uh, freshman, ran for 298 uh, for Maryland. So this was one of the more entertaining games in regards to if you're a fan of offensive football, this is a back-and-forth, high-flying event. And, yeah, I just couldn't believe as I was watching, hoping that they would convert on that two-point conversion, how it just they kind of fell flat on their face when they had an opportunity. Yeah. Give us another one here, Bip. Uh, well, the the last one that I had, as I also had the Ohio State-Maryland game, is Wisconsin at Purdue, um, in which the Badgers won 47-44. This game went into triple overtime. Uh, Purdue scored first, and they never trailed until the second overtime. Uh, Wisconsin was down 27-13 in the fourth quarter and skied, or scored the tying touchdown with just under three minutes left in regulation. Um, this game was really the Jonathan Taylor-David Blow uh our Blau show uh, Blau passed for 386 yards, four touchdowns, didn't throw a pick. And would you believe it? Taylor had only 65 fewer rushing yards as he finished with 321 for the day, three touchdowns, including two of the three Badger um, overtime touchdowns to seal the victory for Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, it was tough for me to keep that one off of my list, but I had to go with this one here. And that was, Nebraska at Northwestern, where the Wildcats won 34-31 in overtime. So Nebraska had a 28-14 lead at one point in the fourth quarter, and it could have been a three-score lead that the Wild had the Wildcats not intercepted Adrian Martinez in the end zone. Flynn Nagel had five catches in the fourth quarter, including an incredibly athletic 61-yard touchdown catch and run to Paydirt on a second long that answered Nebraska's previous touchdown. Things looked bleak for the Wildcats after an interception at midfield led to a Nebraska field goal that put them up 10 with just five and change to play. But the Cats drove down and decided to kick a field goal instead of Fitzgerald's normally aggressive go-get-points approach. The defense then got a quick three and out and drove 99 yards on eight plays in the final two minutes of the game to tie and send the contest into overtime. On fourth and one, Nebraska, who got the ball first in overtime, chose to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. They wanted to go for the touchdown, but a bad snap forced a scramble and an errant heave into the end zone by Adrian Martinez that was picked up by uh, J.R. Pace and, and intercepted. That set up backup place kicker Drew Luckenbaugh, who, mat- who had badly missed a chip shot earlier for the game-winning 37-yard field goal, and he instantly became an Evanston hero, and Nebraska had to wait yet another week for their first win. So that put him at 0-5. And so that really, to me as a Northwestern uh, uh, columnist, that was the turning point for the Wildcats and really the, the mark that got them propelled towards uh, a, a great end of the season. Yeah, I remember watching that one and typical Northwestern, they, you know, can't, can't count them out. And uh, sure enough, um, you know, the fact that they come out victorious on that one was just uh, a sign of things to come for the rest of the season for them. That's right. Well, um, to to transition here, Bip and I are going to do something a little bit fun that you some of you might agree with and some of you might be uh, saying, I'm, these guys are boobs. I'm not going to I'm going to turn this off, but we're going to play uh, Big Ten commissioner here. And 
Bip, you and I talked about the idea of if we could realign the Big Ten and put either two new teams in to put them at 16 or to swap teams out. Um, give me two teams that you would like to add to the Big Ten. And if you're going to swap, who are you going to replace uh, with these teams? Well, I'm going to go with the swap option, so that way there's not an oversaturation, as there kind of seems to be with uh, one of the teams in particular that recently gained uh, addition to the Big Ten, um, and then another one that's been there for a while. I'm going to swap out Rutgers and Indiana, and I pick these two teams as they have had marginal success in the past, but neither looks like a university that could be a, a rise to power within the Big Ten or nationally, uh, for that matter. Now, Indiana has this uh, the basketball significance, um, but there hasn't been much of a they haven't been much of a, a basketball presence since Bobby Knight left. So that's what made it a little um, easier for me. And unlike Maryland, Nebraska, and Minnesota, you can't get rid of Illinois um, due to the Chicago market. And right. Purdue covers the state of Illinois, or uh, Purdue covers the state of Indiana. Excuse me. <clears throat> so in their place, I'm going to sub in Pitt for sure, and. In doing so, I'm going to get the Pittsburgh market and um, another Big Ten type team, the Black and Blue program with uh, you know kind of the um, the blue collar mentality and the historical success that they've had. And this also kind of takes care of the basketball side by subbing in uh, one traditionally good program for another. In the other slot, I'm going to go with either Boston College or Syracuse. And the reason for that is the the reason why Rutgers uh, gained addition to the Big Ten is really for that New York market. So if I can get the Boston or another New York market to sub in for Rutgers to take place of that New York, New Jersey market that the Big Ten was itching for, you have better football coming in. Syracuse, you have a great basketball program in addition to that. And um, both teams seem to be um, not major traditional powers, but every several years or so, they at least have uh, seasons to where the, they, they challenge their conference for um, you know a, a top spot, unlike Indiana and unlike Rutgers. Yeah, I like those picks. Um, and, and some of those teams were on my radar as well. So I personally don't feel, I don't believe too much in oversaturation in terms of the college football league. So I would, you know, my first pick would be to keep the 14 and then add two. But if we're going to swap, um, I'm going to tell you, first of all, who I'm going to go for. And the first one is is maybe a no-go, but I'm going to try for it anyway. And that's the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And <laughs> I know that uh, I know it's been tried and tried and tried. And I'm not of the believer that Notre Dame has to be in a conference. If, if it doesn't fit, I don't believe in just putting things in places just because they're, quote-unquote, supposed to be there. But you look at the traditional rivalries and you look at the geographics and you look at the money that uh, Notre Dame can bring in, I, I'm not really sure that it's uh, it behooves Notre Dame to uh, ignore the Big Ten Network and the revenue sharing. Now, of course, I get that they want to keep all the money for themselves, but I don't see that they would take any sort of financial loss or major hit by joining the Big Ten. Um, and, and I know that you're probably loaded for bear with uh, responses to that. But um, <laughs> I'll let you, you speak know, your piece. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, clearly it's, it's a proud university. It's a proud, uh, athletic program with a lot of history. So 
like you touched on, it's more than just football. It's, it's basketball. Um, it's, it's a lot of the other the major varsity sports that they could bring in. But if we're going to shelve that, if Notre Dame still is defiant and says, nope, we're not doing it, then I'm going to give you two other teams. One is going to be Kentucky. Now, geographics uh, make Kentucky a pretty good fit. It's right there on the border of Ohio and Indiana. So they already have that kind of ongoing rivalry with the, uh, the Hoosiers. And I know that that rivalry has kind of been put on hold with all the conference realignment and whatnot. So if you get them into the Big Ten, now you have a reason to renew that rivalry. And clearly the basketball rivalry, which is even bigger, mm-hmm. um, that's going to be something that's good. They have a, a pretty good baseball program as well for those who are college baseball uh, followers. So um, there's all that. I know that Kentucky is probably not a great market, but that's all they've got in the state of Kentucky. So you're certainly going to get the fans. You're going to have people who are going to travel. And, you know, Kentucky is, is a great college sports state. So um, they're one team that I'm going to go with. And then the other team, if I can't get Notre Dame, I, I like your your pick of the Syracuse Orange. And the problem that I have with that is, you know, people will say, well, there's a New York market. But New York, from what I've understood, is is really not a college uh, state. It's They don't really care about college athletics there. It's all about right. the Yankees and the Mets. It's all about the Giants and the Jets. And um, so... But, you know, when you look at getting a team that is used to playing out here, there's a lot of Big Ten teams who have traded home and home series with uh, Syracuse. The nice thing is they play indoors. So um, you go out there and you don't have to worry about maybe going to a a place or a climate where uh, the elements are going to be into play. Not that I believe too much into that, but I just think the Carrier Dome is is a cool uh, venue for college sports. And it's one of the iconic uh, football stadiums that's not in the in the top 15 historically so uh, I would go with Kentucky and Syracuse if Notre Dame is is not an option yeah and I almost went with Kentucky I just thought it would be too difficult to take them out of the SEC unless they're wanting to have more of a competitive um be on the same competitive level as some of the, the big 10 teams. Um, and that was my thought. I thought that, you know, if, if you go to Kentucky and say, okay, look, you're, you've always been um, behind Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia. Mm-hmm. It looks like things aren't going to change. You had a nice year this year, but if you come to the big 10, we can mix it up to where, you know, your, your win totals are probably going to increase, not because the big 10 is lower in quality, but just because you're not necessarily going to have to take those lumps every year from those three plus the other three or four on the other side of the, of the coin. So I think that, uh, the competitive argument is, is a lot more appealing for Kentucky. And, and taking that a step further, if the Big Ten ever were to propose something like that to Kentucky, I think it would be interesting if they took Louisville along with them um, for the rivalry, obviously, uh, yeah. same geographic area and the fact that, um, I don't know, I think it would be kind of interesting. Now, you're you're obviously going into the same area, so maybe that's something they, they shy away from, but something right. interesting to think of for sure. Yeah, and I think prior to this past uh, off season and a half, Louisville would have been a, a big draw, but with the big problems that have gone on, not only in the football program, but the basketball program as well, that athletic department has got a lot of cleaning up to do for the next five years or so That's before they can start looking <laughs> at uh, uh, anything else. And, you know, the other thing that kind of made me caution some of these places is, you know, the big 10 prides itself on richness and academics and, yeah. 
you know, so that's where I looked at a school even like Missouri as being a potential um, uh, team to bring in. And I just want to put this out there. I know that there's been talk that if the Big Ten expands, Oklahoma and Texas are the two top teams. I just don't think that that makes much sense at all for the Big Ten to do that. Aside from the geographic, uh, you know, outlier, it's it just doesn't seem to be, I mean, now you're looking at trying to just go and be a power conference. And it seems anymore that you don't want to be uh, top or you don't want to be powerful from top to bottom. You want to kind of be top heavy. And yeah. I don't know that uh, bringing those two programs in is necessarily going to be something that if you're looking at the current college football playoff uh, structure, that's not something that you necessarily want to jump at for those two teams. Yeah. And that would be a bummer for college football just in general, because it sure it'd be nice to have Texas and Oklahoma be playing Michigan, uh, Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan state, but you know, those are kind of the games that you like to see at the end of the season, not to see teams beat each other up. So that way every year you have, uh, the, the top teams in your conference potentially having two losses every season. Yeah, exactly. So, so let's get to, uh, the last part of our, our cast here today, Bip. Um, I know that you and I could talk about this for hours, but our listeners don't always have that time. (laughs) Um, the, the burning question and the burning topic that's been debated and you and I have our thoughts is Ohio state, should they ha- should ha- should the college football playoff committee put them in the top four? I'll I'll let you start. I think they should have. Um, and going up against Oklahoma, um, you really have no loser in regards to who you who you choose to put in there. But I think Ohio State's body of work throughout the season they had um, wins against five ranked opponents. Compare that to. Um, Oklahoma's three. Now, w- when I say this, it's teams that were ranked at the time. Um, right. So the the win against TCU doesn't look as good. The win against Penn State doesn't look as good as what it did at the at the time. Um, but five wins going into the the playoff, and Ohio State was probably one of the more impressive all around teams going into the playoffs. Now, Oklahoma was putting up points at an astounding rate, but that defense was also giving up points at an astounding rate and Oklahoma had narrow wins against Texas tech by five points, Oklahoma state by one Virginia, West Virginia by three points. And, um, they had a, a close game against Texas in their, um, the big 12 championship game. Now I know the, the major argument for the Sooners being in over Ohio state was the throbbing, the, the throttling that, uh, Ohio state took against Purdue was much less uh, impressive than the three-point loss that Oklahoma had to Texas. Um, But I think you have to take everything into account, the wins and the losses. And I think the the fact that Ohio State was uh, beating teams like Michigan 62-39 to um, with, with how good a defense that Michigan team had was more impressive than Texas barely beating, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma barely beating uh, West Virginia, and then having a tight game against Texas towards the end of the season. Yeah, that Michigan argument is is a good one. But, you know, my question is, um, you look at the, the close games that you referenced that uh, Oklahoma won. So Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, um, you know, number 12, West Virginia, 
uh, even beating a, a, a pretty good Iowa State team. Are you telling me that Ohio State beating Maryland and Nebraska and Minnesota, those teams are better than those Big 12 teams that you referenced? Because I'll tell you, in my opinion, I would put Oklahoma State above those three teams that I just mentioned. I would put Texas Tech to at least compete and probably beat Maryland and beat um, Minnesota and maybe even beat Nebraska head-to-head, even though the the Red Raiders didn't make a bowl this year. Um, And Iowa State, I think uh, I would clearly put over those three teams as well. So, yeah, Ohio State had the one uh, very impressive victory over Michigan, but again, um, was that an anomaly? Was I mean, what was going on with Michigan? Uh, you look at the whole body of work. I'm just not convinced that Ohio State's wins and the teams that they played on their schedule, uh, aside from Michigan and aside from you know Penn State, who was good at the time. Uh, you know, at the end of the season, I think Ohio State was really more schizophrenic looking than Oklahoma. Oklahoma was, yeah, you're going to get a nail biter, but you know that this is a team that is going to do what it takes to win. They had the Heisman Trophy winner. So my argument is that no, Ohio State did not deserve to be in that top four. I don't, I'm not sitting here saying that the committee got it perfect, but I don't think they got it wrong either. I think that clearly Clemson was good. Alabama was good. So those top two you can put off to the side. That's no debate. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Notre Dame went undefeated. And if you go undefeated and you're in the Power Five or you're a a major independent like Notre Dame, you've earned the right to get in. And uh, so then you get to that fourth team. Uh, I'll tell you right now, if you put Oklahoma and Ohio State on the same field, I would put my money on the Sooners. And, you know, of course, that's one man's opinion. But... um, uh, I think that the the Ohio State play was a lot more erratic, and I think that they were a lot more, um, you know, whack-a-mole than o- Oklahoma was in terms of, of what they were getting. Sure. I think for me, what what pushed the uh, the Buckeyes over the, the Sooners is we know that uh, Oklahoma can put up points against poor defenses. We know that their defense can give up points against good offenses. But what Ohio State showed was they put up 26 points against Michigan State. They put up 62 points against Michigan. They also limited, um, you know, some – they also showed throughout the season that they had statistically a better defense than Oklahoma did. So I think all around the fact that Ohio State showed that they had a better defense, although it wasn't terribly better, uh, the offenses were similar enough in production. I think that there was enough to show that we kind of saw what Oklahoma could do. Um, They could put up points and give up points, but we didn't really know what exactly Ohio State could do against a team like Clemson or a team against uh, a team like Alabama in regards to how their defense would show up and how good that offense could have potentially been. But I think, I think you and I could both agree though, that uh, Ohio state being ranked below Georgia going into the final college football playoff ranking was a little ridiculous given the fact that Georgia had two losses. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I think ridiculous to me might be uh, a little bit um, exaggeration and a little bit of a dramatic, um, word for that. But yeah, I, I, I do agree that Ohio State, they're definitely one of the top six teams. And that leaves credence more to my my thought of maybe we maybe we should look at going to six teams. Now, I'm not sitting here saying we need to go to six teams. I mean, there are sure. some people who are taking the hard 
right stance on that and saying, or the hard left, I guess I should say, and, and demanding that this this playoff expand. It doesn't matter if you go to a field of 64. There's going to be a handful of teams who will lay claim to, well, we should have made it as well. So that leads to my next question. Do you believe it should be most deserving or best team? And because of that, maybe does that uh, tip your hand? Do you think that Ohio State was the better team than Oklahoma? Or do you think that they're more deserving than Oklahoma? What do you think on both of those? Well, I think that Oklahoma may have been a little more deserving based okay. on their season of work, but I think Ohio State was the better team. So I, I tend to go with better team and, and best team. However, I'm not going to completely blindly overlook the fact that Georgia had two losses, Notre Dame was undefeated, and make the the argument that some were of saying that a team like Georgia was better uh, or should have been in the playoff before Ohio State, who only had one loss, uh, ahead of o- Oklahoma, who only had one loss, and against the Notre Dame team that didn't have any losses. So I think it's definitely a combination of the both. But if I had to, if you have two teams that have similar resumes and only have the same number of or have the same number of losses, I'm going to go with better team for sure. Yeah. See, and and my thought is. This is a country that used to be, anyway, founded on the idea of meritocracy, where you you earn your success, and things are not just given to you because of uh, how you look or what resources you have. So to me, I'm of the belief that it, it needs to be the most deserving team. And for me, Oklahoma deserved it more because... Um, you know, even though their records were somewhat identical, um, Oklahoma, you know, you compare that one loss, that data point, it was a close loss that probably shouldn't have been in the Red Rivalry or Red River Rivalry against Texas, whereas Ohio State uh, obviously got, uh, you know, just played a bad game against Purdue. Um and, and I think that there, there needs to be that distinction. I, to my knowledge, the college football playoff committee, which I don't think should exist anyway, um, <laughs> calls it the, the, the best team, the best four teams. So, right. um, I mean, I look at it, you know, being in the world of education, I, if, if you are, um, the smartest person, does that mean you should get the job over somebody who has worked for it and they're more reliable to me? No. Right. Um, you know, does the, does the smartest kid always get the a no. So, uh, I, I think it should be most deserving and that's where it, it shouldn't be a human committee. It should be a set standard where you have a committee that maybe every three years they meet and they say, okay, here's going to be our criteria. Here's our statistical analysis that we're going to look at. And this will determine mathematically who the top four teams are. Um, and, you know, maybe every, like I said, every two or three years, you revisit that. So if something comes up that is uh, outstanding, you can say, all right, well, this happened. So now we need to tweak this. But to to have humans who, I don't care who you are, humans have bias and, and there's even that recency bias, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's where you go back and, um Maybe this is a different discussion if if it's a mathematical formula. Now I've I've heard the rhetoric that um, the the BCS formula would have picked the same four teams, and so people still would have been you know up in arms at this. But um, yeah, I 
Cliff Notes version, I, I think it should go to the most deserving team. And, and for me, that was Oklahoma this year. Now, in saying all this, let me just remind all of our Big Ten listeners that I am completely an advocate of the Big Ten getting a spot in the college football playoff. I think it's great for any conference, but I just don't feel that the Big Ten had one of the four best teams from start to finish this year. I would have said that had Michigan beat Ohio State and Michigan won the Big Ten. I think hands down, no question the Wolverines would have been in the college football playoff. But Michigan, it to me, and, and this is no knock for you Wolverine fans, but Michigan really hurt the Big Ten by losing that game to Ohio State and losing that badly. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree for sure. And and like you mentioned, hopefully the, the silver lining in this is that uh, it, it causes the, the playoff committee to go back and, and think about were there any errors uh, within the selection process this year and what kind of changes need to be made for the future. Right. Well, that's good talk, Bip. Um, yeah, for sure. You, uh, you still didn't convince me that Ohio State should have been in, but, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Nor, nor do I think I, I could have. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what makes college football so great, and that's what makes being a sports fan so great, uh, that us guys, we can chat it out, and, and at the end of the day, we still go at it, whereas uh, some other species may hold the grudge for 12 years to come. So sure. Sure. <laughs> um, well, that's going to do it for us. We'd love to stay and chat more, but uh, we've all got lives to get to as you do as well. So we want to thank you all for listening, um, especially those who are back again and who have not just given up football until August. The off season can be long and it can be dreary, kind of like these uh, cold blowing winter nights, but um, be sure to tune back into a bowl full of chips this week, next week, check out some of the episodes maybe that you haven't listened to. If you're a new subscriber, we've been doing this. This is episode 17, so there are 16 other beauties that can uh, fill your ears and your head with good news and notes, and we'll keep coming at you twice a week. So uh, for my buddy and my brother, Bip, uh, I am Chappie, and we want to let you know that coming up on our next podcast, we're going to get to the South and the Big 12 Conference and the 10 teams, not 12, but 10, that love to play offense and are still reading the manual on, on defense. So, uh, Bip, thanks for joining us. Anything else? Nope. I think we're good. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for listening to A Bowl Full of Chips, where we remind you that biggest isn't always best. So thanks for choosing the right over the rest. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye now.